You know, with the uncertainty all around us, are you thinking about starting your own business? Are you going to be what we call an accidental entrepreneur in that you're feeling forced to do something on your own because of the unpredictability of traditional jobs? Well, do you have those six essential characteristics required to be successful as an entrepreneur? We're going to be talking about that and more. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, in this episode, I'm going to be talking to Gino Wickman. He has a brand new book, Entrepreneurial Leap. And we're going to be unpacking some of the questions and I'm going to be asking him tough questions like, what are those six traits absolutely necessary to be successful as an entrepreneur? How early can we see the clues of entrepreneurship in little children? What are the dangers of trying to follow in mom or dad's career paths? How do I narrow down from having lots of ideas? Is it still possible to find a good mentor? Now, I'm going to be interviewing Gino Wickman. Gino's dad, Floyd, was a contemporary and close friend of Zig Ziglar. So he came out of that kind of environment. His dad was a motivational speaker and then started the most successful real estate training company there is out there. Gino grew up in that kind of environment. He became an entrepreneur, as you'll hear him describe. When he was 29 years old, he realized it was the only thing that fit him. Well, he's gone on to create the EOS system that's been taught in more than 135 companies. And he's helped tens of thousands of businesses implement that system. There's over 100,000 companies using that system now today. He comes in with a whole lot of knowledge about this space. Now, I love this conversation. Now, our quotation for today comes from Napoleon Hill, author of Think and Grow Rich where he says, most great people have attained their greatest success just one step beyond their greatest failure. So here's my interview with Gino, and we're going to be giving you access to a free assessment at the end, a free assessment where you can take the entrepreneurial assessment and determine, are you cut out to do that? There's also some other tools there. So here's my interview with Gino. Well, Gino, it's such a privilege to have you spend some time with us today to talk about your new book, The Entrepreneurial Leap. I love the book, love the look, the feel, the new style cover, the whole deal. So let's talk about this. I look forward to it, Dan. Uh, well, this is a time of uncertainty. Now, we're going to talk about your principles of entrepreneurship, of being an entrepreneur. But this is a time, again, people are discovering they didn't really have security that they thought they had, but only illusion of that. Now, we're going to see it in this time, and we see this consistently, a lot of people who become accidental entrepreneurs. But you say that's not the way to really become a true entrepreneur. Either you have the characteristics or you don't. It's something that you are, not something you do or learn. Boy, that's kind of a, a radical thought. Unpack that a little bit for us. You bet. would love to. You know, it's interesting when you say accidental entrepreneur, because I believe there are absolutely accidental entrepreneurs. It's just that that accidental entrepreneur had the six essential traits. And so what I believe is that all true entrepreneurs possess six essential traits. You're born with them. They can't be taught. 
And so that accidental entrepreneur you're talking about just kind of stumbled into realizing they were an entrepreneur, just as I did. You know, I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur until about 29 years old. That's when it really clicked and made sense for me. And so for what that's worth, um, you know, that's where I think those two things come together. It's when someone does not have the six essential traits and, and thinks that they're an entrepreneur and takes a leap only to fail. You know, this is really a cautionary tale. I'm just trying to help as many people that don't have the traits not create years of sheer hell for themselves, but also help those the 4%, as I call it, the ones with the traits realize that they do and pull them out of the corporate world or out of the inner city or wherever they are and help them realize what they are so that they can truly become why they were put on the face of the earth. All right. Now we're going to unpack that a little bit because it sounds in some ways like we might have just painted some people into a corner. So the six traits, as you described them, visionary, passionate, problem solver, driven, risk taker, responsible, not pointing fingers, blaming anybody except responsibility. If somebody lost their job, gee, it was a corporate guy, you know, used to a big fat salary that's gone. And he says, I got to do something on my own. Is it a matter of just discovering I really do have those traits or do people often try to force the issue when perhaps they are missing one or two of those? Yeah. So, you know, I, I would say two things to that. You know, when I think about all the conversations I've had with entrepreneurs and, and certainly the conversations I'm having now, many of them talk about how they took their leave when they got laid off from their job, you know, so they were out of work. And so it's exactly what you're talking about. And again, assuming Uh, You know, I get that the world is probably split down the middle in terms of this belief. Uh, I think there's probably more people that believe that you're born with these traits. But for the ones that, you know, get laid off and finally decide to take that leap or, you know, from sheer survival instincts, decide to take that leap and then build successful companies. um, You know, those are the ones that have the traits and the ones that don't. Most of the time, they're just not. The road they're going to take is not to go start their own business to solve their problem of being unemployed. You know, some and many will just simply go look for another job to become employed or to generate and solve their problem. But the second thing I want to say that's so important in all this is, I, and I teach this in the book, and it's, it's called the entrepreneurial range, because in no way am I trying to paint somebody in a corner. I'm not trying to, you know, be this elitist, you know, where... Being an entrepreneur is this great thing, and it's a club of of the few. Because, quite frankly, being an entrepreneur is not all it's cracked up to be, <laughs> and, it's, and it's you know it's ninety percent killing yourself, you know, and ten percent a bunch of successes along the way. So, my point in this is the entrepreneurial range says if you think of all self employed people, and on the far left end of the range are what I call self employed. On the far right end of the range are what I call true entrepreneurs. Well, the far left end of the range are people that are uh, one-person shows, people with side hustles, solopreneurs. Um, um, I think you get the point there. On the far right end of the spectrum are the greatest entrepreneurs of all time. Henry Ford, Walt Disney, Oprah Winfrey, Sarah Blakely. And so every self-employed person is somewhere on that range. And so it's very important that when I talk about these true entrepreneurs that have the six essential traits. We're talking about the people on the right half of that range, not the left half, because there's nothing that says you can't go, you know, start your own business, be self-employed, be a one person show. And so I always like to use an example of, you know, somebody who has really handy skills, 
Um, these are great times to go become a handyman or a handywoman because you can go charge $50, $60 an hour, do what you love, make a six-figure income. And in that, you're still self-employed, but you're probably not equipped to go build the next thousand-person company that's going to make a huge impact on the world, if that makes sense. Okay, it does. And that really kind of takes the pressure off a little bit in making this just black and white. Either you are or you aren't. There is a spectrum, and people can find themselves on that spectrum. Now, looking again at those traits, and again, I want to list them for our listeners here. Visionary, passionate, problem-solver, driven, risk-taker, responsible. How early... Can a person recognize those things in themselves? Well, that's a great, great question. Um, You know, I've not done any scientific studies on this. So all of this information, you know, there's not one ounce of theory in what I'm teaching. This is my 30 years of experience being an entrepreneur and helping entrepreneurs. But when I interview and I talk to people about this content, as I wrote this book and as I did my research, Um, they would realize, you know, it would go all the way back to sometimes when they were six, seven, eight years old. And so I don't know what the perfect age is, but again, as I said, I do believe you're born with these traits and let's just take the responsible trait as an example. Um, you know, a lot of times there's a great debate around, you know, how is responsible possibly an entrepreneurial trait and I, and the way I describe it. And also how is it that you can be born with it? Um, So the example I give is, you know, picture a family of four kids. And what's ironic is if you look at those kids, when we say responsible, the responsible trait is that whenever there's a problem, you default to looking at yourself. And then people that don't take responsibility, they tend to default to blaming others. And if you look at that family of four with those four kids, I should say, um, there are most families where those kids are divided, whether it's three and one, two and two, whatever the number is, but some percentage of those kids default to taking responsibility and some percent don't. And you have to ask yourself, how is that possible in the exact same family, same parents, same upbringing, same everything? And so the only thing that you can point to is that it's nature over nurture. And so the point in this is somebody that has that responsible trait, um, they just default to, you know, taking responsibility and they look back at their life and they realize it's been happening since they were six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 years old. That was just always their default is looking to themselves as opposed to blaming others whenever, you know, something didn't go their way. You know, you described for yourself, you mentioned a minute ago that you really kind of uncovered this when you were 29 years old. In your book, though, you talk about even when back at seven, eight years old, you sold candy and fireworks, shoveled snow, cut lawns, washed cars, had a paper route and all of that. Did you, why, why did you not just continue those kind of ventures rather than trying a more normal work life for a period of time? Well, so it's it's such a great question. You know, so when I when I look back to when I was 18 years old, you know, I described myself as this mislabeled derelict. I was lost. I was confused. (laughs) I was insecure. And so you picture, you know, these six traits rolling around in me and and, you know, they were who I was at my core, you know, all of my friends were going off to college and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way I'm going to spend another second in academia, you know, so I didn't go to college. And so they're going off to college. You know, the world's telling you to go to college and and everything about me was saying, this is not for me. There's got to be a different path. And so then I did go get a real job. I actually went and worked in a machine shop for three years out of high school. 
And so I was just lost. I didn't know. But then what happened is I saved up a bunch of money. Again, I always did those entrepreneurial endeavors before I graduated high school. Um, and then I tinkered a little bit while I was working in the machine shop, but I saved up enough money where I could take my leap and then go make my millions as I, as I thought I was going to do at 21. I lost every penny of it, but I tried all kinds of stuff. So, so it, I was itching that whole time to go do something else to create something for myself. Then I found myself in a family business. My father had created the number one real estate sales training organization. And so I found myself in real estate, ultimately took over his business all the while still didn't realize that, you know, I was an entrepreneur at my core. And so that's why it took me until 29. It was in the strategic coach program when, when I ultimately got my clarity that I realized, holy cow, I look back at this 11 year history and just saw what I was so clearly. And then the last little point is that's why I wrote this book because I'm writing this book for my 18 year old self and anyone out there who has these six essential traits, who thinks they're an entrepreneur to really help them realize what they are as early as possible, and then to give them a huge jump start on becoming what they're supposed to become. And I just wish I had that at 18. It would have saved me so much insecurity and fear and confusion. And, uh, you know, I just lost all those years. Wow. Well, <clears throat> I, I've, I wonder if you really did, though, because usually those years of feeling lost are part of getting clarity. And yes. sometimes it's tough to get to clarity without those, without going through the woods first. You know, yeah, if, I can, if I could add one more thing to that, Dan, because you're so right on, because when I look back at those 11 scary years, the, the lessons I learned, the things I did, the jobs I had, the experience, I look back and every one of those made me the entrepreneur that I am today. So it was all meant to be. It was all part of the process. So yeah, you got to go out and just do something and, bump your head a bunch of times and it's all going to be great fodder for lack of a better term for helping you become what you're going to become. And that's an entrepreneur. Well, even as you mentioned college, you know, some people sit in a college seat for four years, try, they're trying to figure out what's the rest of my life going to look like. And then there's some of us who are entrepreneurs who get our education in other ways. We're out here bumping heads with other people, learning things and figuring it out as well. Now, I love some of the things you describe as because I identify with it. I'm sure, you know, we like to defend the things that are true for us, but you say that clearly that true entrepreneurs are risk takers. A stop sign to you is merely a suggestion. <laughs> I, I love that. I remember one time years ago when my kids were small and they were standing behind me in the car and looking over and saying, Daddy, you're going over the speed limit. And I said probably something I shouldn't be proud of today, but they sure remember it. And I said, rules are made for people who don't yet know how to think. Yeah. <laughs> what about that? You know, is it, when when you talk about that, you know, risk takers, sometimes people see that either, again, black or white, either is a very positive thing or very negative. But, mm -hmm. you know, when I think of risk, it's like when we do something where we have no control, if you go to Las Vegas and you put down the title to your car on a roll of the dice, that's risky. You have no mm -hmm. control. But that's mm -hmm. typically not really what entrepreneurs do. We do think through things. Talk to us a little bit about this idea of risk taking. Yeah, it's great. So it's, you're right. It's, I mean, they're calculated risks, but the way I like to describe it is that we are willing to fail. You know, we have no intention on failing and failure hurts and we actually fear failure, um, but we are willing to fail. We know that 
the odds are against us, but yet we still lean into it. We still run into that fire. So yeah, it's not about, you know, betting the house, betting a car, putting 10 grand on red on the roulette wheel. That's a very different, I mean, that's an addictive gambler. So yeah, we're talking about people that simply don't freeze when faced with a tough decision. They lean into that decision. They make the tough decision. They go forward. And I always like to say, when you start your business as an entrepreneur, you know, everybody thinks that that's the risk that you take. And it certainly is. But the risks you're taking are the thousand tough decisions that you're going to make over the next 10 years that can potentially put you out of business, you know, in tough times. You've got to make some really fast, difficult decisions, and they are make or break for your business. You know, that's the kind of risk taking that we're talking about. Okay. All right. Now, we help people look at their personality a lot. Now, incidentally, you know, you've got this really cool entrepreneur assessment. We're going to give people a link to that here in a little bit as well, where you can really rank yourself in terms of how likely are you to be an entrepreneur. But in looking at personality styles, people use the DISC, the Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram is popular right now and all that. So there are kind of categories on there. Well, some of those may show somebody to be pretty conservative in their approach. They gather a lot of facts and information before making decisions. Or somebody says, you, you say, you know, gee, we're going to have a party on Saturday afternoon out here. And a person may say, well, what if it rains? And we see that person as kind of a, a Debbie Downer, but they're just wired to be more conservative. Is there ever a time when somebody like that, who's just wired that way at high SC on the disc, is, should go ahead and be an entrepreneur? Or are they just simply cut out to be somebody who should have a job? Yeah, that's great. And, and so I, I don't think that conservative is the right word to decide make or break. So I want to use an example with some of these tools that you're talking about. And so Colby is the tool that I embrace the most because okay. Colby seems to be the tool that um, there's a couple indicators on there that have a high probability that you are this entrepreneur, this you have these traits and it's, it's what they call quick start. And you're rated a one to 10 on quick start with Colby when you get your results. And what I find the hundreds, if not thousands of entrepreneurs I've worked with over the years, they, most of them, I would suggest 90% or more are eight, nine, 10 quick starts on a Colby. Then you mentioned fact finder. And so what I've been unable to find or see is any correlation to fact finder. So with Colby, it also then rates you one to 10 on fact finder. And I've seen very low fact finder entrepreneurs, very high fact finders in the middle, all over the place. So, so there's no correlation with any of the other, um, uh, trying to think of the term that they use for each one of those bars. Uh, so if you know the term, please call that out. But, um, it's that it's that quick start eight nine ten is an indicator, and so when you go to that fact finder point, a higher fact finder tends to be more conservative because they they want a lot of details and facts before they make decisions. But if they are at eight nine ten, they're going to leap once they've satisfied the fact finder. They're going to leap, and just the opposite. Somebody who has a quick start that's a one two or three they will tend to take a lot more time to make that tough decision, be more conservative and probably not be entrepreneurs. And so that's where I see a correlation there. I've seen no correlation with Myers-Briggs in terms of an entrepreneur or not, you know, introvert, extrovert. It's, I, I find it to be split right down the middle. I am an introvert. 
Um, disc, I've seen no correlation there. You know, I am like a 99 on the D on the, on the dominance in that drive scale, but I've, you know, I've had clients that are 40, 50 on that scale. And, and so I've not been able to find a correlation with anything other than that Colby quick start eight, nine, 10 is, is, is the one common thread I've been able to see for the last 25 years. All right. And you're talking to an eight on quick start here. And I'm sure you're there as well. But I'm an eight as well. <laughs> All right. Well, I like that. And, and the fact that we have such a wide variety of businesses today, you can be an introvert and have a business where you don't have daily contact with 300 people. You don't have to have a subway franchise where you have 400 people walking in the front door. You can have something that allows you to be very isolated and energized by solitude. So we have that spectrum there. I love you kind of how you unpack that. Now let's create a scenario here, Gino. Let's say somebody opens a restaurant, they run it successfully, and then they open three more locations. They've got 10 million in annual revenue, every indicator of success, they're thriving. Then a strange virus comes along and the mayor says, all restaurants need to close for 60 days. Now, with the leases, contracts, advertising commitments, these unexpected circumstances that have nothing to do with competence or ability are going to bankrupt the owner. If he is a true entrepreneur, what will his response be? Yeah, that's such a great question, you know, and certainly timely. And what you're describing, you know, restaurants, I mean, I was going to go through all the industries. I can't tell you how many clients are dealing with this uh, and have always dealt with it in tough times. So I would ask, when I start with a kind of a big picture context, because here's exactly what that business owner should do. And when you're in the middle of those tough times, you know, it's hard to embrace this because you're fighting for your life. But if you zoom out and you look at history and let's just look at a hundred years of history, this happens about every 10 years. And so my business mentor taught me when I was 25 years old, and it has now held true for almost 30 years that in a 10 year business cycle, you're going to have two great years, six good years, and two horrible years that will potentially put you out of business. And that, for me, has held true now almost 30 years. And so I teach that to every business owner and all of our EOS implementers at EOS Worldwide that will listen to me and have been teaching that for almost 20 years since I've now seen it to be true. And so the step one is you've got to understand that cycle so that you're never surprised because the other reality is it's coming again. It's coming again in the next 10 years, point one. Point two is then what I have taught and preached and pushed to every human being on the planet is that you've got to have six months living expenses socked away in cash, in an account that you're always ready that if the blank hits the fan, you have enough dry powder to survive for six months. And that goes for the individual who has a real job, a day job, you've got to have six month living expenses. And it goes for every single business that exists. So I've always been a fanatic about keeping a ton of cash in my companies. And that's what every business should do. And yes, that's hard, but it's not hard. If you look at it on a 10 year time frame, you just slowly sock away enough to be able to survive six months. You've got to take yourself to a worst case scenario the, the rug is pulled out from under you. What? How much cash will you need in the bank to last six months? And so that's the second vital point. And, it, and if those first two vital points are embraced and, and followed through on, all of a sudden, the first answer to your question is, well, you write out the storm. Okay, so now let's go to the ones that didn't. And, and you know, in... Um, 
the tough time that we're experiencing and, and just experience the, the ones that listen, there's a piece about them. And what they're able to do now is just focus on helping the people in their lives. So anyway, but let's pretend the ones that didn't listen, you know, that are panicking, um, you know, first thing you've got to do is save the company first, first and foremost, when this ends. And it, if we look at history, it will end, you know, whatever it is. Again, there's another one coming in 10 years and that one will probably end as well. Let's hope history holds true. So it will end. And, and so at the end of that, if we're talking about that business owner and that restaurant owner, there has to be a business at the end of this. Because if there's no business at the end of this, then you can't rehire all of your employees if you had to do layoffs. But you, you first and foremost have to realize, I've got to save this company. The entity is more important than anything else because the entity, when we come out of this, it's what's going to help a lot of people. And so with that thinking, you've then got to save the company. And unfortunately, sometimes that means you've got to do layoffs. And I've seen everything under the sun. And, and fortunately, I have clients that have not had to do layoffs and some that had to lay everyone off. And, and I've seen some where they stagger it, uh, where they cut out overtime the first week. Uh, they then, you know, cut payroll in half the next week. And this might be the next month, the next week. And then unfortunately, they start doing layoffs. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. But you got to save the company. You've got to right-size the company. You've got to do layoffs where necessary. And you've got to cut the heck out of expenses. And you've got to batten down the hatches. Outside of that, there is no perfect universal answer because then you've got to look at your situation and you've got to reach out to your men mentors, guides, and coaches. And you might need to go get an SBA loan. You might need to go get a loan from a family member. You, so this is where now it's customized for each situation. You might have to get creative and completely reinvent your business. In, in tough times, businesses completely get reinvented. And so that's, you know, I'm going to try not to ramble much longer, but those are the few jumping off points I would give you um, to your question. Well, I, I, that's brilliant. I love that. I'm going to go back and replay and replay that 10-year scenario. That's really brilliant. And I think that should be hopeful for people. But the, the bottom line to your message is, yeah, there's light at the end of the tunnel. This is going to be a cycle. We need to pre prepare for it, anticipate, not by being negative or pessimistic, but just recognize these cycles that we go through, get a healthy business, and you're going to have a healthy business after it's all over as well. You know, I would add one more thing for what this is worth, because this was an aha for me recently. So this is the most recent aha, and, and we are both students of Dan Sullivan and Dan Sullivan has something he calls his scary times success manual. And one of the disciplines is when you hit scary times, take the focus off you and focus on others. And what I realize I do in times in tough times is I just talk to and help and try and be a beacon of light to as many people as I can. And ironically, by doing that, I get ideas, my energy goes through the roof, my optimism goes through the roof. So I don't know what the psychology is, but the opposite is where you're watching the news, you're sitting at home sucking your thumb, you're sitting around panicking, and then your energy is just going the other way, and it just literally deteriorates you. So for what that's worth, just kind of lean in, focus on others, help as many as you can, and the ideas will come. Okay, all right. Well, I've got so many things I'd love to kind of squeeze in here, but a couple of things I want to address, and that has to do with, with family and generational kind of expectations. I mean, you've got a dad who's a famous motivational speaker, real estate trainer, as you mentioned. Um, so just because 
mom or dad was an entrepreneur may not mean that the child coming up is. But if we look just in general, somebody's dad was an attorney, there's a lot of pressure for the son to be an attorney. Mom was a teacher. Gee, why don't you be a teacher? Nurse, we see those generational expectations. And yet if there's somebody who's been a true entrepreneur and has a business, what if a child then does not have these six characteristics, but the familial pressure is you need to take over the business. I mean, how many times have you seen that unfold in unhealthy ways? Far too many times. So I write an entire chapter in the new book on this exact topic. So I'm very passionate about it. Having been one of those second generation entrepreneurs. And so it's all about second and third generation entrepreneurs. And, And same thing. It's a cautionary tale because, you know, there are very clear statistics on this. And it's that only 32% of second generation entrepreneurs survive, 13% of third generation survive, and 3% of fourth generation. So if you just look at the statistics over the last 100 years, odds are your son or daughter is not the entrepreneur that you were statistically. And there's other factors for why the business doesn't succeed, but it's a travesty when the entrepreneurial parent is is pressuring and, 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 and making their child become that next generation entrepreneur. And, but even your example about become an attorney, become, an, a doc, become a doctor, these pressures are so unfair because we all, you know, as Dan Sullivan says, has a unique, we all have a unique ability. We all have this, this genetic encoding and our job is to figure out what that is. And, and fortunately for me, It was that I was an entrepreneur and a second generation (laughs) entrepreneur. I had those six essential traits. So now all of a sudden we go back to those six essential traits. I offer a free assessment to assess whether you have them. And so that parent that is pressuring your child, I urge them to please fill out the assessment on their child and please have their child fill out that assessment. And then also for that son or daughter that's feeling that pressure, go fill out that assessment and find out because the pressure isn't always coming from the parent. Sometimes the kid, the son or daughter is putting pressure on themselves because they think they need to become an entrepreneur because their parent did or become a doctor or become a lawyer. And, and it's just not the case. So you've got to decide what's the right path for you or your child. And it, and it all starts as a second generation entrepreneur as to whether you have those six essential traits. And if you don't, There are other positions in the family business. You might be a great marketing person, a great salesperson, a great finance person. You don't always have to be the second generation entrepreneur. Yeah. There, you know, I have a whole bunch of grandkids, you know, and it's so exciting to help them experiment with entrepreneurial ideas, you know, set up a booth at the Mm -hmm. farmer's market and do face painting, you know, carve people's names in Aspen wood with a router they've got. But uh, sometimes I almost am concerned that I'm spoiling them for ever being content with a regular job. You know, is there a danger that I'm exposing them to things that may not be their best path, but they're certainly my bias. Yeah. But, well, yeah. And so here's what I would say to that, you know, going back to your original point that you started this whole conversation with, in no way are we saying that becoming an entrepreneur is the end all be all. Again, so my math, I believe 4% of the population has these six essential traits are true entrepreneurs. The world needs doctors and police officers and teachers and nurses and all these wonderful careers. And so it's, it's, it's not as if 
being an entrepreneur is the ideal job. And so what's great about what you're doing with your grandkids is you're letting them play and test and decide if this is right for them. You know, if any way, if in any way you're doing that because you're forcing them to become entrepreneurs because entrepreneur is the only thing to be, because that's what you were, I would suggest that's dangerous, but it's all about just letting them play and tinker with lots of different things to decide what they ultimately are because everybody's different. You know, that's what I do. I'm working with adults in these inevitable, relentless career changes that we go through. I simply want them to recognize the broad spectrum of opportunities not to preconceive where they need to be, but just as they recognize the broad spectrum, then they can choose. I mean, if you're not really a true entrepreneur, but you kind of want to have something that you put your name on, man, franchise is a great example of that. Proven prototype, they'll tell you what to do, when to show up, but it's still your name out front. Well, you know, here's uh, just a couple other questions I want to ask you. An entrepreneur, a true entrepreneur, tends to have a whole lot of ideas. I mean, they sometimes they never really go deep because they have the shiny object syndrome where a new idea comes along and they do that. Now, mm-hmm. that's a great starting point to have a lot of ideas. But if somebody has these six characteristics, how do they narrow down from the broad plethora of ideas they typically have to then go deep in one and not be distracted just because they have a lot of ideas. No, that's such a great question. And I want to, as I answer this question, I want to grab something from the previous question and bring it into this because, you know, when we're talking about all these different career options for people and we're right now, the focus of this conversation is obviously about entrepreneurs. All of a sudden you go into entrepreneurs and let's go back to calling it self-employed. When you look at somebody who decides they want to be self-employed and take total responsibility of their financial future, as we talked about with that range, they're going to fall anywhere on that range and they might just be the one person show. And they might, like you said, at the farmer's market, sell honey and make 50 grand a year and they're completely independent and self-employed and happy. My point in this is there are so many options as a self-employed person. And, and there are, so I go into great detail on every option, industries, businesses, are you a B2B? Are you a B2C? Do you want to build a million dollar company, a billion dollar company? Are you a service person? Are you a product person? And so there's, my point in this is there are so many different options when you decide to become self-employed. So now all of a sudden, this person you're talking about that has this shiny stuff syndrome, because when you realize all of those options out there, it is very distraction distracting for someone with ADD, okay? Because the shiny object object syndrome, when somebody has that, they have ADD, and most entrepreneurs do. And so we see all these shiny opportunities, and we want to go after all of them. Well, the short and simple answer is you've got to pick one and focus. Now, when I say this, I'm a little biased because what I'm teaching every client is you've got to know your sweet spot. You've got to focus. And until you exhaust every opportunity in that focus, you should not be looking anywhere else. Well, that's a contradiction to what a true entrepreneur with these six essential traits um, the way that they operate, because the way they operate is, is they want to try everything. And so that is the demise, however, of most entrepreneurs, because they're trying to do everything. They're trying to do so much. And so the short answer to your question, sorry for such a long answer, is you got to pick one and go and just pick the best one. And just a really quick 
45 second story is not a year ago, I was sitting in my office with an entrepreneur who brought me his six ideas and wanted to talk about how to pursue those six ideas. And I said, please pick one. He literally had a journal with these six ideas. I said, you pick one, go become, go become successful in that one and then pick the next one after that. And that's just my humble two cents because I'm a fanatic about focusing. And then there's that example out there of the entrepreneur who has seven different businesses and seven different things going. Kesara, I would suggest that that's the exception. It's not the norm and it's not the rule. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Yes, we have the Richard Bransons. I don't know how in the world he pulls it off, but he's an, he's an anomaly. He is not even... Uh, a representative of entrepreneurs, because that's not common. Now, you, you touched on the fact that uh, you, college didn't work for you. You were seeing a lot of changes in education. Recognizing the changing workplace out here and the fact that if you got a degree in computer science you know, 10 years ago, it probably doesn't have much value today because that industry has changed so, so much. But recognizing that, what do you think we're seeing over the next 10 years in terms of preparation for taking advantage of the greatest opportunities we've got out there? Yeah. Oh, so that question, I, the way that I work, I consider that to be an impossible question to answer. <laughs> so I'll explain why. And, and so the, one of the things I learned, finally learned it 10 years ago, is I'm all done making predictions because I, <laughs> I've never met anyone that, that can predict to some level of success. So, so my point in that is I... I believe I live in this wonderful space. So, so my God-given talent, unique ability, genetic encoding is helping entrepreneurs succeed. And so that's what I'm all about is giving them freedom, getting them to express their creativity and build great companies. So that's what I'm able to do. And the, the luxury that I have in doing that is, you know, the business, um, the next big idea the evolution of things, you know, these crises that we talk about that come up. I have the luxury of not having to know all of those things because it's the entrepreneurs that figure that out. And what I'm able to do is help create a platform for that entrepreneur to succeed. And so I have this little theory that I share about the future. And if we look back at a thousand years of history and we look forward to the next thousand years, when you talk about predicting, here's all I know. There's some things that change and there's some things that don't change historically. And going forward, I think it's going to hold to be true. And so things that always change are the products and the services that entrepreneurs create and, and provide to the world. And it's all based on demand, you know. And so uh, 200 years ago, it was the Pony Express, you know, and, and it was it was buggy whips and it was uh, all those kind of things. And then we look to the future it might be populating Mars and it might be human teleportation. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not good enough to know what this world's going to need 10 years from now. But what I do know is that entrepreneurs are going to figure out products and services to, to provide value to those needs. And then the other thing that changes is methods of communication. You know, like I said, the Pony Express, the way we've always communicated as entrepreneurs to make people aware of our products and services, it's ever changing. So like, again, the Pony Express, it was the telegraph, it was telephone, it was fax machines, it's email, it's social media. As we go forward, again, God only knows what it's gonna be. We're gonna be downloading into each other's brains, but the products and services are always gonna change based on needs and the way that we communicate those things are always gonna change. And then the things that don't change 
that, that stay the same is that people are always going to have needs. They're always going to have needs. And so as the entrepreneur, the potential entrepreneur out there listening right now, your job is just to get so close to your potential customer or client and know what their need is. Pay attention to the market. Keep your ear to the ground. And great entrepreneurs with these six essential traits will always adjust and evolve to those needs, especially during a crisis. A lot of what we do and how we operate changes during a crisis. And entrepreneurs just simply adjust to that and capitalize on that. So I hope in there you found the answer. But I, it'd be impossible for me to predict what this world's going to need in 10 years. <laughs> no, your, your answer was right on. And the only realistic one, Yeah, you know, we can't see the future, but if we have these traits, we can adapt and adjust and see what the next wave is going to be in terms of needs. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, entrepreneurs mm-hmm. by nature, we get bored with things if they're just the same anyway. We welcome sure. change, variety, and challenge. So these times are not unexpected or unwelcome. We just continue doing what entrepreneurs do. Yeah. And and what's also crazy about it is we get energized by a crisis and we run into the fire in a crisis while everyone's running away. I mean, it's, it is not normal the way that we think and operate and it's, it's borderline crazy, but it is what it is because, you know, it's largely a disorder. So that's why I say it's not all it's cracked (laughs) up to be, you know, it's, it's anyway. So for what that's worth. There you go. Welcome the disorder. Well, we've had a lot of people out there who very publicly have acknowledged that they have ADD or ADHD. And it's because of that, that they've had the success that they have and they don't want a cure for that. They welcome that even though it's seen as a malady, and a disadvantage, no, sometimes it works to our advantage. Do you know, I, got, believe I believe it's a gift. I, I have, I have a, one last question here that you unpacked in Entrepreneurial Leap, and then we're going to tell people how to access all your amazing resources and get the book for themselves. But this is the idea of apprentices. We used to be able to, if somebody wanted to be a blacksmith, they would spend a year with somebody who was already a blacksmith. We don't see that anymore. People are kind of thrown into a new career right at the start, expected to survive without having that apprenticeship. So you address the idea of having a mentor, which I love that term, always have. I have been blessed with having mentors in my life. How does somebody find and nurture that relationship that we would describe as being a mentor? Yeah, great. And again, I write an entire chapter on this as well. And ironically, uh, my dad wrote the book on mentoring with his co-author, Terry Shodin. So the question is is very appropriate. And, and I, too, have always had mentors. I am what I am because of my mentors. And so my urging Perfect. to everyone listening is to, to go find a mentor. And so it's a pretty simple process. It's, it's not easy, but it's simple. And that is, first and foremost, you got to decide where you want to be and what you want, what you want to accomplish. But the idea is to <clears throat> find someone who is where you want to be. Okay, and so somebody who's who's living the life you want to live, exhibiting the things that you want to be, that's step one. That might be a family member, that might be a friend of a friend. However, they're they're out there. Step two is you reach out to them and you just simply ask, you know, can we meet for an hour? Um, and and be prepared because you're going to get a lot of no's. So these are very busy people, but you just got to keep turning over stones and kissing toads and asking. Once you get your yes, you schedule that hour, you meet for an hour, and what you do is you share your story, your goals and aspirations, and you ask that mentor to share their story, 
their insights. And by the end of that hour, you're either going to really fit and connect. And if it feels right, then you decide how to go forward and you decide on a structure. And so my business mentor that I found at 25, we met every month for two hours in his office. It was about one to two hours, but it was a monthly get together. I was always in charge of making sure it happened. And we'd spend that hour together. It might be once a quarter, it might be once a week, but you just agree on a format and you go forward from there. And so that's my lightning fast version of, of how to find a mentor. All right. That's awesome. That's brilliant. I, I love that. And so, so many people don't take advantage of that opportunity. They assume that if somebody's successful, they're going to be greedy and selfish with their time. And you and I know the reverse is true. People who are very successful tend to be the most generous, open-handed people on the face of the earth. Now, you and I... And I'd love to, Dan, if I could, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but I do want to share something that is near and dear to both of our hearts because it has to do with Zig Ziglar. And Zig Ziglar was my dad's mentor. And the other thing that my dad teaches about mentoring is you've got to thank your mentor often, and you've got to do what your mentor says. And so my dad shares a story of how my dad was always so surprised how Zig would always take his phone calls. And he said, Zig, I know you're getting thousands of phone calls every single week. Why do you take mine? And he says, and his short and sweet answer in so many words was, Floyd, it's because I hear from all of those people a lot, but I don't hear of them much. I hear of you all of the time. And in so many words, what he's saying is you're doing everything I'm telling you to do, Floyd, and you're, you're, you're applying what I'm teaching. And a mentor, they just want to pass their legacy along. And so they want to teach, they want to be helpful, but they also don't want to waste their time. And so you've got to apply what your mentor is teaching you and show them that you are and express appreciation. Wow. That, that's such a great example. And of course, Zig, it seems that he had that impact on more people than just your dad. I don't know Ooh, how sure. he impacted that's so many people. Well, sure. you and I know the power of having mentors. We also understand the power of masterminds and growth groups, the kind of things that you and I are connected in. There's so many options out there for people to take advantage of. So we don't want people to sit in isolation, twitting their thumbs, you know, bemoaning the fact that we're reach out. There are so many opportunities and there are so many mentors and people who have been down the road before that can guide you. We want to encourage people in that. Gina, I want you to tell people where they can go. You just, Gal, you just announced this 16 day challenge. I love that. I printed it off, got it ready to go here. But I love that, a thinking process to guide people through this. But tell us where to go to get your both your book and the assessment and other tools that you've got for us. Fantastic. Well, the epicenter of everything is the website e-leap.com. So you'll find everything there. Uh, the book, Entrepreneurial Leap, is available in all major retailers, but you'll also find it there on the website. Um, and what you'll find there are basically nine free tools. And so the whole idea here, this is a passion project for me. Uh, and what you'll find in one of those free tools is the assessment I talked about. And so it's the entrepreneur in the making assessment. This is where you find out if you truly are an entrepreneur. And then also another one of the tools I highly recommend is a free chapter. And so it's the first 30 pages of the book. So everyone can experience those first 30 pages and see if it's right for them and decide where to go from there. And then the 16-day challenge is, you know, once you've read the book and you think you might be an entrepreneur, <clears throat> the 16-day challenge is where you then download the lead journal, which is another free tool. It's a 16-day commitment, 30 minutes a day, where you do a deep dive into each one of those chapters and you journal and you write. And it really deepens your conviction, your certainty, 
your desire to take your entrepreneurial leap. All right. Well, I found the book absolutely enthralling. Having been an entrepreneur my entire life, I was still drawn in immediately, went through. My copy is all tagged up and marked and dog-eared already. But our, our audience, the 40 Days audience, are readers. They understand the power of investing in themselves. So I certainly recommend go to e dash leap.com. Get the book, get the resources. If you buy some for your friends, you can get them at 50% off. Buy a bunch of them. That's a cool idea as well. So Gino, thanks for sharing this time with us. Thanks for putting the message out there that I know in this changing time is going to be such a lifeline for people to grab a hold of, encourage them forward. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. You know, I know that uh, Gino's pretty strong on some of his opinions about those traits, but we did open up the possibilities there. It's not just either you are or you aren't. You ought to be able to find where do you fit on this broad spectrum of work possibilities out there. So check out the resource, go to e-leap.com. You'll get that free entrepreneurial assessment and the 16 day challenge. Incidentally, I scored a 96 on the entrepreneurial assessment. I'd be delighted to hear what you scored on that, but I hope this is encouraging for you to figure out what it is that you're going to do. If we got our old standard song here, stuck in a GOB, now is not the time to be stuck in a GOB. You may have already lost your GOB. Well, it's a time to explore other options. That's what I want us to do with this particular episode, just explore the other options that are out there. So we talked strongly today about entrepreneurship. Do I think that that's something that everybody ought to do? No, not at all. As Gino says, we're always going to need doctors, attorneys, physicians, dentists, people with more traditional occupations, teachers, plumbers, electricians. We're going to need those. But you have the opportunity, the luxury to figure out where do you fit on this continuum and then do that, hold your head high and do it with excellence. So, hey, just enjoy the time of exploration. You may be given a little bit more time right now to do the exploration. So dig in, figure this out. And thanks again for being part of this community where we know we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Go!